Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org. You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. Last year at this time, this Sunday, I was in the hospital. Many of you were out. I think we had 10 or 12 COVID cases hit the church at one time. People were very sick. We lost our beloved Ray Kaufman to it. We didn't meet for a Sunday. The elders had some emergency meetings on, to try and figure out how to move forward. And somebody reminded me this morning that was a year ago and here we are today. We need to praise and honor our God. So, a brief review. Acts 21, 20 through 26. The title was A Candid Concern. 
And I didn't get to explain the word candid last week because we had so much trouble with the iPad. But the word candid means to just be very frank, to be honest, open, truthful, blunt, forthright, straightforward. All of those are embodied in the word candid. And in the passage last week, it mentions that when Paul and his companions were finished sharing their testimonies, the leaders of the Jerusalem church, first of all, they had some, testimony, some testimonies of their own. They said, you know, dear brother, thousands of Jews have also believed. And that was good news. Many thousands of Jews in the Jerusalem area had also believed, not just out on the mission field, but there was some bad news because after the testimony times were complete, Paul and his companions sharing what God was doing out there, James and the elders of Jerusalem Church sharing what God was doing there. And at both places, many, many souls were being saved. You do know that's the bottom line of the work of the church, right? Everything else we do, which we do a lot of everything else, drives towards seeing lost souls come to Christ. If we lose sight of that, we lose God's blessing. We lose his favor. That's what we're about. So God was saving souls out there. God was saving souls in Jerusalem. However, James and the elders of Jerusalem had a very serious concern that they needed to candidly share with Paul and his companions. And the concern was all these Jews who are getting saved in Jerusalem, you know, they all follow the law of Moses seriously. They still take the law very seriously. Of course, Paul and his companions did not. They understood God's purpose in the law, but they moved on to faith in Christ and how the two related. The Jews in Jerusalem did not. So they took the law, still took the law seriously, and to make matters worse, the Jewish believers in Jerusalem have been told that you are teaching all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn their backs on the law. They've heard that you teach them not to circumcise their children, which was a Jewish rite, a Jewish passage, or to follow other Jewish customs. So to make matters worse, not only they were still serious about the law, the rank-and-file Jewish believers in the congregation at Jerusalem, well, they had heard and they had believed the rumors. They had believed the false information about Paul, and they were not happy with Paul. So the Jewish leaders possibly, together with Paul, I'm not sure if there was collusion or it was just them, the Jewish leaders possibly together with Paul and his companions, they came up with a plan, and in essence the plan was this. The plan was have Paul act like a Jew. Then everyone will know that the rumors are false and that you yourself, Paul, observe the Jewish laws. So what they wanted was while you're in Jerusalem, associating with the church in Jerusalem, act like a Jew. Right or wrong, Paul complied with their wishes. The end of the review. We needed to review this. We needed to get to this place where we mentioned the plan again because we left off last week saying, stay tuned. Was the plan successful? Anybody take a sneak peek ahead the next passage to see? Was the plan successful? <laughs> no? Okay, well, let's see. Today's 
text is Acts chapter 21. Melissa, is Melissa in the building? If you'll come. Acts 21, 27 through 36. And she's going to read for us. If you've been here any amount of time, you know the drill. Stand. We stand to honor God's word. To stand the, we stand to honor the person reading us God's word. So when we're standing in quiet, Melissa will begin. The seven days were almost ended when some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple and roused a mob against him. They, were, they grabbed him yelling, men of Israel, help us. This is the man who preaches against our people everywhere and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. He speaks against the temple and even defiles this holy place by bringing in Gentiles. For earlier that day, they had seen him in the city with Trophimus, a Gentile from Ephesus, and they assumed Paul had taken him into the temple. The whole city was rocked by these accusations, and a great riot followed. Paul was grabbed and dragged out of the temple, and immediately the gates were closed behind him. As they were trying to kill him, word reached the commander of the Roman regiment that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately called out his soldiers and officers and ran down among the crowd. When the mob saw the commander and the troops coming, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander arrested him and ordered him bound with two chains. He asked the crowd who he was and what he had done. Some shouted one thing and some another. Since he couldn't find out the truth in all the uproar and confusion, he ordered that Paul be taken to the fortress. As Paul reached the stairs, the mob grew so violent, the soldiers had to lift him to their shoulders to protect him. And the crowd followed behind, shouting, kill him, kill him. (laughs) Thank you, Melissa. You may be seated. So the title of this message is, oh, no, not again. If you've been with us through the book of Acts, you understand what that means. It's a lament. A lament is an expression of disappointment and frustration. Oh, no, not again. What we will hear in this message today, we've heard before too often. This message is yet again another narrative. It's an account by Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, of just the facts What's going on? What's happening at this time? That's Luke's primary writing style through the book of Acts. We're going to exegete the passage, as we've been doing with so many of these narratives. And that simply means we're going to give the facts of the narrative. We're going to make some commentary on the facts. Also this week, the application will be very similar to last week, which is no application. At least no official corporate application of the message. For this message, there's no one-size-fits-all application. The application of this message is on us. The application of this message is on you. You need to listen. You need to hear what God is saying. We need to hear what God is saying to us through this message. There will be a number of points that come out, and our role today is to listen and hear what God is speaking to us. Steve made mention of the whiteboards. You're welcome to come and write on the whiteboard as you hear God speak to you. 
So getting into the text, the seven days were almost ended. The seven days refers to the duration of that Jewish rite, the rite, the ritual that Paul had agreed to as part of the plan. Figuring if folks saw him completing a Jewish rite in the temple, then they would say he still adheres to the Jewish law. Paul did not leave Judaism. He's still a a full-fledged Jew. That was the hope. That was what they were expecting. They were trying to get out of the plan. So the rite was almost completed. The seven days were almost completed. And so far, so good. It just might work. It's almost over. There's been no trouble yet. But an infamous book of Acts, but. But when some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple, they roused a mob against him. Oh, no, not again. They grabbed him. And it goes on from there, dot, dot, dot. Unfortunately, the very thing that James and the elders, elders wanted to avoid was happening. Jews from the province of Asia. And this confirms our suspicion from last week. Remember, we thought these guys might not be Jewish believers in Jerusalem, but they might be from up in the Ephesus area because it wasn't the new believers in Jerusalem that originated these rumors, that spread these falsehoods. They just unfortunately bought into them. It was the Jews from Asia. It was the same group of Jews, especially from the Ephesus area, That caused trouble for Paul out there. They're the ones who came and originated this stuff in Jerusalem now. They had gotten to Jerusalem ahead of Paul. It's like they made their life mission to get the Apostle Paul. You think there'd be something better to live for. Hatred causes people to do strange things. So they were roaming around the then known world trying to get the Apostle Paul. They were Jewish zealots. They were promoting the Jewish law. They were Judaizers from Asia. They're just like the ones who gave Jesus such a hard time. And now they're in Jerusalem just waiting. You think of diabolical scheming and planning, which is what our enemy is always about. Relentlessly diabolical, by, diabolically scheming and planning. He roams to and, to and forth on the, to and fro. Okay. It's not the iPad this week. It's my brain and my mouth. It's not. It's <laughs> it was those. It was the, the enemy roams to and fro seeking whom he may devour. So the enemy is always constantly laying his diabolical schemes relentless. And that's the way they were. They were relentlessly looking for a way to trap the Apostle Paul, an opportunity to get him. So they roused a a mob against him. That's their go-to. Oh, no, not again. Mob violence, rioting, the same as we saw in Ephesus a few chapters ago. We actually entitled that song, Riots and Unrest in Ephesus. Now they brought them to Jerusalem, and the focus of those riots and unrest was always the Apostle Paul. He was at the center of it. And they were yelling. If this wasn't so pathetic, it would almost be funny. But they were yelling, men of Israel, help us. This is the man who preaches against our people. This is the guy that we've been spreading rumors. I mean, this is the guy that we've been telling you about. He's here. He's right here. He's in Jerusalem. He's coming out of the temple. 
Men of Israel, come, come on, help us. Hey, what? What's going on? You can imagine what? And when there's a mob, you know, there's a small core in the mob that they know what they're doing, and the rest is just joining the mob, and the mob is growing. And most of them are being dragged along, and they don't even know why, or they at least don't know that it's wrong. Men of Israel, help us. This is the man who preaches against our people everywhere and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. He speaks even against the temple. Can you picture it? They were yelling and screaming for the Jews of the church in Jerusalem to come and help them get Paul. Help us. We finally got him. Don't let him get away. You know, it reminds me of bullies. Do you ever have to face up to a bully? Did I ever tell you my story about the Zuggies? The Zuggies had about eight guys that were all brothers. There was at least one in each class where I went to school. Joe, you know all about the Zuggies. You had your encounters with them. And so the Zuggies would start spreading rumor around school at the beginning of the day of who they're going to get that day after school. And that panicked all the rest of us guys. We would take, you know, you had to line up in which, way, which direction you went home from school. So if we knew the Zuggies were going to get us, we'd try and line up in a different line. But there was always too many of them. There would always be some in your line, and so they would get you. You know, if we would have been smart, I see in hindsight, all we would have had to do was unite against the Zuggies, and we would have been fine. But instead, if he was getting you, we're like, hey, he's getting you this week, Richard, and you're on your own. So they'd be spreading around. They used to call me Hubby Smith. The Zuggies were going to get Hubby Smith, so they'd get me. They'd beat me up. It was routine. Uh, then they'd throw me down this hole over by the Columbia Post Office, and it was too big to get out of when you were just a kid. This happened so many times that my mom used to tell my older brother when I wasn't home for supper, get down to the post office and get Hub out of that hole. The Zuggies got him again today. <laughs> Well, that's what this reminds me of. Men of Israel, come on, help us, help us. We're going to get the Apostle Paul. Bullies, cowards. Help us finally get this elusive renegade, this most wanted number one, the infamous Apostle Paul. He preaches against our people everywhere, and he tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. He even speaks against the temple. But wait, what? Does he really? We've been studying him for how many chapters now? Have you noticed that? Is it really true that he's against the Jews? Is the Apostle Paul actually anti-Semitic? Well, let's check it out. Now, the Jews of his day could, at this moment couldn't know this, what I'm going to share with you, because Paul hadn't written it yet. But Paul earnestly loved the Jewish people. Paul earnestly loved the Jewish culture. Paul never dissed the law. He just put the law in perspective of New Testament faith in Christ. He never dissed the temple. He understood the importance of the temple. He just put it in perspective with faith in Christ, which was now God's way of dealing with the human race after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. Paul earnestly loved the Jewish people. He loved the Jewish Culture, he loved the Jewish law. He said very clearly in Romans, the law is good. It's not the law that's at fault. It's me because I can't keep the law. He loved the temple. 
We're going to jump away from the text for a minute. We're going to fast forward a few years, not, not too far. When Paul is in Rome and he writes the letter to the Romans, this is what he says. It reveals his heart for the Jewish people. Pay attention to this. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. Does that sound like the words of a man preaching anti-Semitic rhetoric? Or how about this? This is even more astounding. Romans 9.3, my heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people. That's the Jews, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed and cut off from Christ if that would save him, save them. Think about that. I would be willing to be lost and end up in the lake of fire if it meant my Jewish brothers and sisters would be okay and they would be saved. Only two men in Scripture ever made statements like this. One was Paul here in Romans. Anybody know the other? Not Jesus. Not Peter. Not James. Not Stephen. Old Testament. Moses. We would have been here all day. So you know the story of Moses, godly man, went up to get the Ten Commandments, was 40 days up there, fasting, didn't even drink water, in the presence of the Lord. The Israelites are waiting for him down at the base of the mountain. And when he comes down, he finds them partying around a golden calf that they met, worshiping a golden calf and actually saying these words, this golden calf led us out of Egypt. Can you imagine that? That's what Moses came across. And then he's going to make a statement like this when he goes back up to God. So Moses returned to the Lord and he said, oh, what a terrible sin these people have committed. They have made gods of gold for themselves. But now, Lord, if you will only forgive their sin. But if not, then erase my name from the record you have written. Same thought as the Apostle Paul. I would give up my salvation for these people, these sinful, insolent, prideful, arrogant people. I would give up my salvation if somehow that would cause them to be saved. That's what Moses is saying here. That's what Paul was saying there. That's some serious love. From some serious men of God. And interesting enough, both statements were about the same people group. They were the Hebrews or the Israelites for Moses. They were the Jews for Paul. But they were a stubborn, stiff-necked people who in their respective generations were trying to kill the men that God sent to them. They wanted them dead. In any event, it's unfortunate Paul didn't write this before our passage in Acts, maybe it wouldn't have happened. They saw how much he truly did love them, the Jewish culture, the Jewish law, the Jewish temple. These words were before this incident. These words were not before this incident. They were after. But it shows his heart towards these very folks. 
But you know what? It probably would not have mattered to the angry mob. This is just a principle that we should know. This is not really a spiritual principle per se, but it's a principle we should know. Facts and truth do not matter to an angry mob. You can't reason with an angry mob. Angry mobs thrive on falsehood and misinformation. It's what drives angry mobs, unrest and violence. So it probably would not have even have mattered if they would have read Romans and saw Paul's love and the truth that Paul was not dissing the, Jew, the Jewish race. So moving on, Acts 21, 28 and 29, they, they included this in their indictment against Paul. He even defiles this holy place by bringing, Gentile, bringing in Gentiles. The holy place is the temple. For earlier that day, they had seen him in the city, in the city with Trophimus, a Gentile from Ephesus. And they assumed Paul had taken him into the temple. Another thing that angry mobs do, they make assumptions that are not necessarily true. And they act on them. And they spread that assumption that's not true. I was going to put it on the board, but I didn't know what you'd think of me. You know what happens to us when we assume, right? Okay. (laughs) come on pastor tell us tell us come on I dare you to nope I can tell by your faces you already know it so the thought here is this they were looking to accuse Paul of anything that they knew would incite the Jews against him so they began to say look he took Gentiles into the inner court of the temple taking a Gentile into the inner court court of the temple was a huge no-no to Jewish law and Jewish custom Jewish religious practices, that was a huge no-no. You don't take Gentiles into the inner court of the temple. So first, FYI, there is no way Paul would have done that. He knew that. He was a scholar of Jewish law, and he believed it. See, it turns out they made a false assumption. They only had seen Paul with Trophimus earlier in the day, A Gentile from Ephesus, that's how we know these guys most likely at least were from the Ephesus area. They knew Trophimus, who was from Ephesus. Just because they had seen them together in the the afternoon, they assumed that Paul took him into the temple with him and other Gentiles. He takes Gentiles into the temple. They either assumed it, which is what it says, or they outright lied about it. I wouldn't put anything past them. So now the whole city was rocked by these accusations. Now a great riot followed. Paul was grabbed. He was dragged out of the temple as they were trying to kill him. And that's very interesting, too, as they were trying to kill him. Again, just a hint for those, you might not be, for those of you who are, might not be as familiar, when you see in, uh, the bold print, that's usually something I'm going to comment on. So they dragged him out of the temple as they were trying to kill him. Word reached the commander of the Roman regiment that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He called out his soldiers. They ran down among the crowd. And when the mob saw the commander and the troops coming, they stopped beating Paul. Try to take the words off the page and put yourself in Paul's position. He was finishing this right in the temple. They thought the plan was going to work. And next thing you know, like the gong show, out comes the hook. Drags him off the stage. 
He's being grabbed into this, where'd this angry mob come from while I was worshiping in the temple? And now they're beating him and pummeling him. You know, it's easy to read that, but start thinking about what's really going on. What if that was you? You're getting punched in the face and kicked in the ribs. Granted, Paul was accustomed to that, but I don't think that makes it any easier. The whole city was rocked. Now the whole city's in on this. Sound familiar? The riots and the unrest in Ephesus. These are the same zealots. These are the same tactics. Mob violence, chaos, stirring up trouble, unrest. Not a very good environment for the gospel to move forward, for the kingdom to advance. They dragged Paul out of the temple. They were trying to kill him. Steve and, and others today, for some reason, are sensing that Satan is trying to Attack the church, for lack of a better word. And that's probably true. And it's not just our church. Any church and any believer that's trying to move forward with the Lord will run into that. But I do want you to know this. It's no game. Satan doesn't play. They weren't playing. Neither does Satan play. He plays for keeps. They were literally going to kill Paul. This wasn't for show. They were trying to get him off the scene. Here's a thought. These are thoughts that hit me. They were trying to kill him, and they were mercilessly beating him. Well, now wait a minute. Didn't it say they were serious about keeping the law? Didn't it say these Jews were serious about keeping the law? Doesn't the law say, thou shalt not kill? Hmm. See, that's the thing with legalism. It's always inconsistent. Legalism always espouses a double standard. We're all about the law and Paul is not. So we're going to kill him. Well, wait, you're, you're breaking the very law that you're so highly exalting. That's what legalism does. That's what self-righteousness does. It holds a double standard. I see your faults, but I don't see mine. When I pray, I pray, man, Lord, you see those sinners? Get them, Lord, get them, Lord. But, Lord, have mercy on my sin. So they were trying to kill him, which is against the law that they were very serious about. But thank God at that moment, God intervenes. He uses the Roman guard, not believers, not the church. He uses the Roman guard to prevent Paul's death. Because there was a future ministry assignment for Paul, he had to get to Rome or we wouldn't have all the epistles. <laughs> There's other reasons he had to get to Rome. But once he got to Rome, he was in jail. And so he wrote all these epistles that we now have. So he had to get to Rome. His life wasn't over. And here's what I'm thinking as I read this. I think I would have just about had it with new ministry assignments if I was Paul. I'd be like, give a man a break. <laughs> you guys don't feel like that, huh? Give a man a break. Can I get a break here, Lord? Cut me some slack. I am all about your will. 
Most likely nobody else at that time, maybe never since that time, lived all out for the kingdom like he did. And look at his life. And now God's going to spare it again, give him a new ministry assignment. It's going to happen all over again. We might be preaching another sermon later in Acts entitled, Oh, No, Not Again. But you know, that's not Paul. That's not his mindset. Let me take you back to an earlier chapter, or earlier in this chapter. There was a man named Agabus, and he had the gift of prophecy. And he came over, and he took Paul's belt, and he bound his own feet and hands with it. And then he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. You talk about an accurate prophetic word. If you get a word like that, believe it. Because that's exactly what happened in our passage today. But even more important, what I want to bring out was not the accuracy of the prophecy, not that the difficulty was prophesied and then it happened. I want to show you Paul's response again to that prophecy. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. His response, no matter what, I will not be moved off my commitment to the Lord. He made that response earlier in the chapter, and that response is now being challenged. Something for us to think about. Are you still listening? This is the attitude God wants us to have. I'm ready not only to to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. I will not be moved off my course no matter what. That is the attitude he wants us to have. But I want you to know, and he wants us to know, That full commitment living for him, it will be challenged, and it will be tested. That level of commitment will be challenged, and it will be tested. It's not a walk in the park. It's real. There's no game playing at this level. Don't be surprised. When you make that level of commitment, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that comes upon you as though something strange were happening to you. You're simply partaking, it says, of the sufferings of Christ. You're simply partaking of the life of Christ. You're simply partaking of the normal Christian life. Much of what we have lived and much of what we have seen is really not a normal Christian life. It's so far below the biblical standards in both a positive and a negative way. We haven't experienced that level of power. We also here in this country have not experienced that level of persecution. Just quite possibly... As we move into this level of power, we may move into this level of persecution. Let's quickly finish out the rest of the story. The commander arrested him and ordered him bound with two chains. He ordered that Paul be taken to the fortress. As Paul reached the stairs, the mob grew so violent, the soldiers had to lift him to their shoulders to protect him, and the crowd followed behind, shouting, Kill him! Kill him! Try and take that... Take the words off the page and put yourself in the situation. Have you ever been involved in any mob violence or unrest? Anybody here? It's a scary, scary thing. The commander arrested Paul and ordered him bound with two chains. He ordered that Paul be taken to the fortress. And I thought, wow, poor Paul. This is unbelievable. The crowd is beating him to death. The crowd is yelling, shouting, kill him, kill him, and they arrest Paul. 
Doesn't it seem like they got something wrong there? Another principle for us. Just because you're a Christian, just because you're fully committed to the Lord, does not mean you won't suffer unjust injustice. That's one of the biggest why questions for God from his people. Why? Why? This is totally not fair. It's totally not true. And yet you're allowing it to happen. And I can't answer that question right now, but I'm just here to tell you those kind of things can happen to fully committed believers. Look at Job. Perfect and blameless man, upright in all his ways. God said, Satan, have at him. Now, we know there's a purpose and all that, but God's reign falls on the just and the unjust. Hard, hard, hard stuff to fathom. That's why there's faith. That's why we're called to trust, because we don't understand. Trust in me with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. You won't be able to figure it out. The only way you're going to get through is trust me completely. So the crowd's beating him to death. He's the innocent victim. He's the one they arrest. He becomes the convicted criminal. Don't be surprised by the fiery trial, right? The crowds following behind are shouting, kill him, kill him. I want to move to a close by pointing out that somebody else experienced a very similar plight. Back in Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts, then a mighty roar rose from the crowd, and with one voice they shouted, kill him, kill him. Kill who? Kill Jesus. Paul, it seems strange. You feel like you're getting arrested unjustly. They're blaming it on you. But you need to look at Jesus who went through the same thing. You're filling up the sufferings of Christ. You're only experiencing the sufferings of Christ. This was another innocent man who had had done no wrong. In John, he writes, away with him, they yelled. Away with him and crucify him. What the crowd was saying in essence was the same thing as our passage. Kill him. Kill him. Kill Jesus. As we move forward in our commitment to Christ, I'd like you to listen to the words of Christ to his disciples. But I do want to put a disclaimer. I'm not really sensing at this point that God is telling the church in America, our church too, I don't really sense that God is calling us like to say, get ready for severe persecution, it's coming. It may be. We need to be ready. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. But I'm not saying that, hey, you know, doomsday. I'm not preaching any kind of doomsday message here. But I do think God wants us to know this, and these are the words of Jesus to his disciples. Remember what I told you. A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally, they will persecute you. We'll stop here. We'll pick up the story again next week. There's, there's more verses in Acts chapter 21. I mentioned at the beginning there's no official corporate application. There were a number of points that, and principles that we pulled out of today's passage. I'm trusting you heard something from God. I heard something from God that is speaking to me personally that I needed to know today. That's the application. Will you stand with me? Ray Keck, if you'll come to the mic to pray. Sonny, if you'll bring the band forward.
Ray, wait till everybody's settled and then you can pray. Father, thank you for the message today. Thank you for Luke showing us in plain words and acts what we have to look at, what we need to do, and what could happen. I look at the transformation of Paul, what he really was in the beginning, how he changed, how God came into his life. One thing we also have to do, Lord, is be more like Paul, discipleship, love, faith, and belief. We need to do all that. And yes, there will be issues. That word but comes to everybody's mind. That dismal word that things could change. Paul never gave up. Paul was in the position, even at times when the Holy Spirit even mentioned to him there could be trouble in Jerusalem. It didn't make a difference to Paul because he wanted to finish the race, the race that we all must go through, to show people God's love, and to move forward with God in discipleship and to find lost souls. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.